Welcome to the Two Writing Teachers podcast. Two Writing Teachers is a meeting place for a world of reflective writers. Here on the podcast, we're excited to talk about ways to create, lead, and sustain joyful and productive writing workshops. My name is Stacey Schubitz, and I'm here with my colleague, Melanie Meehan. Let's work together to inspire and empower students to be competent, brave, and confident writers. Welcome back to the podcast. I am really excited today to talk about conventions. Yes, true. I am excited to talk about conventions because it is something that is on the mind of many educators, whether they are administrators or classroom teachers or coaches. People are always wondering how to get students to use conventions strategically. So let's dive right in. Let's dive in, exclamation point. One of my favorite topics, <laughs> just always a lot to say about it, a lot of questions about it, and so many different ways to think about spelling and conventions and the balance that exists between those areas and components of writing and composition and getting the content out, right? Mm-hmm. I remember... When I worked up in Rhode Island, we really dove in head first to this because that was something that we noticed our students needed. Um, we developed kind of a scope and sequence based off of the work of Dan Fagelson um, to really hit this head on. But we made sure that we kept content top of mind because that is so important. If you're writing just bleh stuff, then who cares if it's correct? You need to have interesting content and then, you know, it's great if it's spelled right right, and written right. So dive in with me. Let's talk about this. So I will start by saying that the Common Core does provide us with a scope and sequence for the language standards. And I think that it's really important to dig into that and know the scope and sequence and the expectations that are there not only for whatever grade you're teaching, but also for the grades that come before, because it's cumulative, right? It's in those standards. And I'm not saying that it's developmentally appropriate and that all kindergartners get there, but they are expected to use capital I for I, Mm -hmm. shocker, since many adults don't, as well as (laughs) at the end of sentences, and, and sometimes I think that we don't go back and look at the standards that come prior to grades to know this is what's this is what's expected and this is what kids should be coming with in the first place as they are walking into the door. Yes, and I want to just go and talk a little bit more about that. That was part of our issue. So this was in the pre-Common Core days of like 2008, 2009 when we were doing this. So we didn't have that framework. But we looked at like what the expectations should be. I mean, there was stuff out there by grade level. And then most of our students were English language learners in the school. We were like, okay, this stuff is missing. It needs to be reintroduced at these grade levels because we can't have the expectation that they're going to use it independently in their writing until we have like made more of an effort to model it and give them some practice time with it. So we have to kind of look at those standards and, and look back and say, okay, well, they might be missing this. We need to make sure that we're teaching it. And I will say for the most part, I find them fairly developmentally appropriate. Like in some like, places, not. And for some children, not. But for the most part, 
doable, but requiring in, instruction and explicit instruction and explicit expectation that they're used. And we'll talk more about that. Mm-hmm. What I want to slide over to also, you know, with that being said, and with the with the agreed presupposition, if you will, or the agreed understanding that there are clear expectations and standards that we have when we think about conventions and spelling. I think that there's also an important balance to keep in mind. And I leaned really hard on Frank Smith's work when I was addressing it, at least in Every Child Can Write. I think also in Answers to Your Biggest Questions about writing, I talk about it and I, I reference his work. He was a he was a psycholinguist and did work throughout the 20th century, wrote the writer and the writing. Mm-hmm. And he was the one who, for me, really delineated the differences between compositional writing and transcriptive writing. Okay. With the idea that within compositional writing, you're coming up with content and you're deciding how to say things and... Mm-hmm. You're, you're establishing your ideas and the structure by which you'll write your piece. Sometimes I think about transcriptive writing and the transcription that happens is anything that an editor can do. Sure. Which, which isn't to say that you don't pay attention to transcription as you're composing, mm-hmm. but it's to say that there's a balance and I, would, I don't ever want to interfere with the process and the confidence in of kids as they write by obsessing and getting too nitty gritty about the the transcriptive components. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. And I think that we can also think about what happens when we get obsessive about handwriting because in some places handwriting is really valued and in other places it's like, hey, we just want to be able to read your work and make sure it's legible. And if we obsess too much on the handwriting, it slows kids down. So I think it's the same type of thing that we don't want to obsess about any one thing. We want to have a really nice balance. I will share a quote he has about it, and it, mm-hmm. it encompasses the handwriting piece also. Okay. In his book, Writing in the Writer, which is great, I recommend it. It's an, you know, it's it's old, but it's almost like a touchstone text mm-hmm. kind of like Stephen King on writing, right? <laughs> the effort to concentrate on spelling, handwriting, and punctuation at the same time that one is struggling with ideas and their expression not only interferes with composition, but creates the least favorable situation in which to develop transcription skills as well. Unpacking that for a minute. And thinking about some of the writers that are in front of us in classrooms, mm-hmm. I just, I, I want to just say, like, for some kids, it is so much cognitive work to get their ideas on paper. And if we tag on the additional cognitive work of handwriting and of putting in end punctuation and of spelling words right, you can only do so much cognitive work at the same time. I think it's just really important to consider the demand that we're placing on kids' brains. It's huge. It's a huge demand. And I think it just keeps coming back to a balance and having a healthy balance of anything that we do, 
whether it's what we eat or what type of exercise we do, there needs to be balance. And so let's talk about how we do this with kids. So I think that there are ways that you can focus on conventions that are outside of the independent writing time during writing workshop. Mm-hmm. In addition to it, like, and again, please don't ever hear that I'm saying this should be ignored and not addressed because that is not at all what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But I think that we get other op- other opportunities for them to practice in addition to their independent writing time. Yep. So, you know, one of my favorite things to say to teachers is think about the the low stakes writing time. Mm-hmm. And when I think about low stakes writing, I think it's not the writing that they are producing as their choice pieces during independent writing time of a writing workshop. Maybe it's kids are participating in writing the morning message. Maybe it's kids are coming in and doing free writing. And yes, I would say in free writing, bug kids to use conventions. I would that people look at me and they're like, but it's free writing. I'm like, yes. And that's kind of a low stakes writing. And sometimes it's not one that's using so much cognitive energy, but tack in the energy for conventions. Right. It's cut. It's it's what they are choosing to write. It's the topic of their choice. It's the genre of their choice. So, yes, that's a time that we can increase the demand for proper spelling and conventions. Yeah, like writing their lunch choices, like any writing opportunities that they can have throughout the day, expect conventions to show up. Another thing that is really important is to show kids the right way to do things, not the wrong way. And I feel like a lot of times we ask kids to fix things. We want them to fix it up and that's okay, but like we don't want to do too much of that. I think it's even more complicated than that. I think a lot of the times on tests and in situations and in daily, one of the reasons I don't like daily oral language things is you're showing kids three wrong ways and asking them to choose the right way. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. And I don't, I was expected to use that early in my career. And I remember the day I jettisoned it from my uh, do now in the morning. And it was liberating, I think, for my students to not have to deal with that. So I think that it's mostly that we want kids to not look at it and think, oh, gosh, this is confusing. I know Mm -hmm. that it's tricky. We want kids to look at it and think, oh, I know that's the right way. Mm-hmm. And our brain learns, oh, it's the right way by seeing it right over and over and over again. For me, I know embarrass is a word that's tricky for me. And if you showed it to me three different ways, I'm like, oh, it's tricky for me. Mm-hmm. I have to stimulate myself and be like, okay, I know it's the one with two. It's got, it's got the doubles. <laughs> right. I have to have that conversation with my brain because for me, I know that one's tricky. We don't want kids to be having that cognitive debate. We want them to be looking at it and thinking, I know it, not, oh, it's tricky. Are you familiar with Jeff Anderson's Patterns of Power? Love Patterns of Power. It's fantastic. And I know that there are different co-authors for the different age ranges. Um, What I have basically worked with is the, I think it's one through five is the book uh, for it. But you're getting kids to look at mentor sentences that are crafted properly and you're asking them to notice things. 
and to write them down what their observations are. And they're starting from a place of correctness. And yes, there is an editing component to patterns of power and, you know, you tinker with things, but you're starting from the place of it being right. And I think when we start from the place of being correct, it's more supportive in the long run. Well, it's kind of like your mentor text work, right? It's yeah. that it's that sequence of first notice, then note, then name. Mm-hmm. And I would just add like slip in depths of knowledge or Bloom's textology, whatever you are working on, but then create, not just leave off the at the end of like the naming part, but actually have a go at it, which, you know, is one of the things that I will say to teachers also is give kids chances at what I would call isolated practice of that. And this is a really nice strategy to use. And it's not unlike the patterns of power work. One of the things that I'll do is set up almost like a drill situation with Mm -hmm. kids. And I can say more about that. You always make fun of me for athletic. You're giving a sports analogy, aren't you? maybe. Okay, that's fine. Go for it. If I am in a tennis match and having a hard time with my down the line forehand, as an Mm -hmm. example, I might sign up for a lesson on just down the line forehands and Mm -hmm. have somebody hit me down the line forehands over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. so that it gets back into my brain how to do those. Mm -hmm. And I think that we can set up similar situations for kids if we pull out the skill that we know is giving them a hard time. So for instance, maybe it's capital letters. You can give them then a sentence or a paragraph with four or five different usages of capital letters, like Mm -hmm. intentional use. Yes. Have them name and notice and name the reasons for those, and then have them write their own paragraph using the same rules within their paragraph so they Mm -hmm. can lean into that. To me, that's the analogous situation of my going and doing down the line forehands, Mm -hmm. right? And for those who don't practice tennis and want just a different analogy, I'm thinking of like egg cracking day that I had with my son when (laughs) he loves to bake and he couldn't crack an egg very well. So I bought like the cheapest box of 24 eggs and was like, let's do it, buddy. Let's just crack eggs until this gets to be done right. And then eventually he was able to crack it. He could even separate the eggs from the yolks from the whites now, but it, it takes that practice and really isolating that practice in order to get good at it. It's how do you really make it so that it's easier when mm-hmm. you're in the game or you're in the recipe or you're in the composition because you've practiced it in mm-hmm. an isolated kind of a way. So yes. I, I would say that is a really powerful way of getting at that conventions during times when it's not slowing kids down during their composition. I am one of those people who likes to text with conventions and I am always dictating to Siri and I am putting my punctuation in. And I think that the most recent update might have the punctuation that it puts in because it's doing weird things when I text now, but I still like to be in charge. And I really, <laughs> it was a shock. Shocker, right? In all seriousness, I think that you taught me something 
when we were talking a few deep digging deeper dialogues ago, and then also in one of your tips for tomorrow about being really intentional with punctuation. And it reminded me of the way I talked to Siri and how we can transfer that dictation to students. So one of the things that I will start doing is just throwing in punctuation as I speak, period. There's an example, exclamation point. Anyway, you get what I mean. Yep. People laugh and it's playful and it's funny. Mm-hmm. And you can even do morning meetings with it. You can greet people. You can get them into lines. Like you can use it throughout the day. But I think that scientifically, there's something to be said about it because what it does is it stimulates another processing system to think about conventions and how they show up in writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, conventions are like little dots and curves. They're really like a very small thing in the visual processing network of our brains when you mm-hmm. think about it. But if you draw attention to them and you get the auditory processing system to think about it by speaking with conventions, then you're tapping into a whole nother processing system in a playful and joyful way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's cool. It is very cool. And I'm sitting here, I think you might know that I'm responsive classroom trained. So my mind immediately went to morning meeting after you said it. And I was like, oh, you can totally teach the vocative comma by saying, you know, good morning, Melanie, or doing it like that way, or good morning, comma, Melanie, exclamation mark, handshake or elbow rub or whatever. And then you greet me making me eye contact. Good morning, comma, Stacy, exclamation mark. You could even take it further and say, how are you, question mark. And then like maybe there's one more exchange and then the kid turns to the next one and greets the next kid that way. And even when you're doing weather in the primary grades and you want to describe the weather, like let's look outside. What does it look like? Oh, it is gray, comma, and rainy, comma, and dreary, period. There are so many possibilities for it. I love, love Love it. And I know I've used that word now three times, but um, there would be a comma between them. (laughs) Um, But I think it's really powerful. And there are so many places in the school day that you can do it, even when kids are lining up. I notice Jane is in line, period. I see Vinny, comma, Eli, comma, and Bianca are looking at me, period. I mean, there are so many possibilities. I'll stop now. No, you get the point, exclamation I do. Point. I do, <laughs> exclamation mark. In any case, I, you know, I think the other thing about talking in punctuation this way and having it be such a part of life is that it leans into the power of habits. Mm-hmm. And it, conventions can really, it, it's almost like a habit. I would never, ever write an email without conventions because it's just what I do. It's how how I roll and how I write because it's my habit. And I think that the more you have kids just have an automaticity and an awareness of it, then the easier it is for them to use in their daily writing. And I've noticed that with my own daughter, we homeschooled last year. She's back in public school this year. And we did patterns of power work and, you know, she had me as her mom. So obviously there were things that we really focused on and conventions was a part of our day. And I noticed a few weeks ago, she had to email her teacher 
And I was kind of standing beside her just to oversee it because she hadn't used Schoology for that purpose before. And I noticed her going back and fixing stuff without me saying it. Oh, I need a comma there. I need to put this on the next line from Isabel must have, you know, a separation. I was like, oh, this is good. She's gotten into that practice. And another thing, and I want to kind of transition into something else that we can talk about is another thing is she had some assistive technology that she used last year. I noticed how hard it was for her to properly use conventions and proper spelling in her writing when she was scribing by hand. And I think that hand scribing is really important. And that was a lot of what she did, probably 75% of the time. But then we went to that 25% that was going to be in a Google Doc. She needed help. And so we did a trial with CoWriter Universal, which is a fantastic assistive technology app. And there are different settings that she was able to put on it. And one of the settings was that as soon as you put your end punctuation in, it reads the whole sentence back to you. And God forbid you don't put that end punctuation in, it will not read it back to you. And all of a sudden, I had this kid who sometimes forgot to use her end punctuation who learned right then and there that the only way to get co-writer to read back to her because of the way I set it up was for her to put in the end punctuation. The way that it predicts and suggests things. I mean, it's it's designed for people with dyslexia, but it can be used by other people. But it is so helpful. To kind of, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, but it's so helpful for someone to have something that assists them because it will give you things and it will help you with your spelling. And then I noticed it does transfer into her writing in other places. Do you have any other assistive technology that you can suggest? Because not every school district has co-writer on their iPads. No, but probably I think more and more districts are getting into Google Read and Write. And there are Mm -hmm. certainly add-ons that work for kids as far as predictive technology and assistive technology in terms of the spelling and, and conventions. I would just say, and, you know, this is like classic, like, Sometimes I'll say to my students, shut down your notifications when you're in compositional mode. Like Mm -hmm. I will teach them when they're in, I'm thinking about what I'm putting out in the world and I don't want those little red lines or the little zigzags or whatever it is to distract them as they're putting out their ideas. Mm -hmm. So again, there's so many things in all of it that's a balance and, and figuring out what works for kids and what's distracting for kids. Agreed. We don't want too many bells and whistles happening. And, you know, when we take kids from that pen and paper writing to the iPad or the Chromebook or whatever else they might have, we have to be really intentional with that use of technology and not overuse it. So I want to think about other tips and tricks, maybe a few things that you can just suggest quickly before we close out this episode to help with convention use in the classroom. We've mentioned a lot of different ones, and I I would say lean into those. I think that we run past the power a lot of of the transitional words. Like Mm -hmm. transitional words and teaching into those hard is a fabulous strategy for building elaboration when Mm -hmm. kids are writing. And they're also a fabulous strategy for building an awareness of conventions because almost always transition words, and I mean 
also another for example this is important because as you can see like those sorts of phrases they almost always start a sentence mm -hmm. and you can give kids that as a special tip or trick and it not only builds their content but it cues them to start a new sentence so that's a nice tip and trick and then the other little tip and trick and i will say Twin sentences is a strategy that I don't know how widely it's known when I say it. It could be a great tip for tomorrow. It could be. I mean, I have been telling kids to write in twin sentences since, you know, the beginning of my teaching time. But I often when I work with teachers and I'm teaching elaboration, that is a new um, term for many people. Mm -hmm. Basically, what you're doing is you are ending a sentence with one word and beginning the next sentence with that same word. And now that I've mentioned it, it'll show up in lots of different places, mm -hmm. right? Just because you'll be like, oh, I'm on the lookout for it. By definition, it's two sentences. Mm -hmm. And so it cues, it's another way to cue kids to put in a period and start a new sentence. And that's a nice thing to do. It, it gives them that elaborative cue and it also gives them the cue to start a new sentence. Anything else? How about something? You know what? I know what we can talk about real quick. Families. How do we communicate this to parents and caregivers? Um, how do we help them understand what is happening in the classroom with conventions and also how to support it at home? I mean, don't you think about all of the things we've talked about in this podcast? I think you could teach them the game of talking in punctuation. That's mm -hmm. fun. You could teach them about the transition words or even like twin sentences. But maybe the most important thing is to teach them and emphasize the importance of balance and celebrating what kids are doing as opposed mm -hmm. to what they're not doing. And mm -hmm. the more that they can understand that writing is a complex process and what you see on the page isn't necessarily everything, does, isn't reflective of all the effort and knowledge and thought mm -hmm. that existed getting it there. Maybe that's a really important thing to emphasize. I agree. I think, and I'll even say this about myself, I think when I look at my, my own children's work as a parent with my parent eyes, I often look at it from a deficit perspective. The teacher part of me kind of gives me a little hand slap and says, don't you dare say that out loud. But that is because of my teacher training. And most parents are not educators. So we need to teach them about that balance. That's super important. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that. I think that might be the biggest thing to stress with parents more than how to do this at home is just how to celebrate when things are going well and how to keep feedback positive and notice what kids are doing lead with what they're doing. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Two Writing Teachers podcast. Check out the show notes for links to the items we mentioned in this episode, as well as ways to connect with us. For more about the teaching of writing, head over to the Two Writing Teachers blog at twowritingteachers.org. If you liked what you heard today, please share it with your friends and colleagues, post about it on social media, like, subscribe, and leave us ratings and reviews. Our music is by Lemon Music Studio. If you'd like to connect with us, email us at contact at twowritingteachers.org. Thanks again for listening. Let's teach, learn, and write on together.